Hi, Grand. I'm so happy to see you and hear you. You although, too, as well. Although no, I no. think it's hilarious. Even though this will only be audio, both of us have the lights off in our house. <laughs> Well, it's midday, and I have some natural light flooding in that I can't even control, because you see this bright-ass light behind me? Yes. That shade is down. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> I can't do anything about that light. That's how it is on that side of the house at this time of day. So, hi, Steve. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so happy you're here to talk to me on my podcast and record this episode of People Have Corona. The next episode, the next installment in the summer season of the People Have Color podcast. Thank you for joining me, Steve. Thank you for having me. Do you want to introduce yourself to the people? Uh, I'm Steve. <laughs> what, else, <laughs> what else do they need to know? I'm Steve. Tell me, tell me how you identify, how you'd like to introduce yourself if I just like you were Steve. writing it. Uh, I'm Steve. I live in Brooklyn. I'm a lawyer. I'm an actor. I'm a writer. And I'm making it through this, what all these things that we're going through. I think that's a good enough introduction. You damn sure are. So I will add to that. You are one of my self-care role models. Oh, thank you. Are, you are a very dear friend and honored and esteemed guest because this podcast is about ideas, paradigm shifts, pushing our ideas further than the status quo. And you are one of my uh, very valued partners in that kind of dialogue. So I'm really, really, really excited that you're here today. Let's get it going. Let's, Let's get, get it, it going. going. Hi, everyone. It's Corinne. I just wanted to add this note to clarify a bit before we really get deep into this episode, this hotly anticipated episode, anticipated by me, if no one else. And I just wanted to clarify the audio's a little bit weird. We did we recorded this on Zoom and I really thought Steve's audio was going to be the challenge, but it turns out Steve's the one who sounds like he's in a professional recording studio from his home interviewing me while I'm somewhere crouching in a phone booth stall in the middle of a tornado, something like that. So a professional did join in to help with the editing, so it's not so bad, and I appreciate you bearing with it. Other than that, just let yourself sink deep into this vibe of this really rich conversation I had with Steve. So thoroughly sink in, sink deep, deep in, so thoroughly that you cannot help but to send me an email at peoplehavecolor at gmail.com with your burning comments or questions about anything you heard today to be featured in a future episode. Don't forget to subscribe as well so you won't miss another episode. And with that, I hope you'll enjoy me going straight back into shouting at Steve as we get deep. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. Peace. And I invited you here immediately after you sent me a link to a podcast or you tipped my ear to a podcast that you've been listening to, Modern Love, the New York Times podcast, Modern Love. I'm obsessed. Yeah, and it's one that I'm like, I'm, I subscribe to it, but I don't really listen to it. So when you directed me towards it, I was grateful because I am in this moment of expanding what I listen to because I'm constantly seeking this adult stimulation that I'm yes. not getting at home on quarantine. So I listened to this episode and it was called Race Wasn't an Issue to Him. It was the June 10th episode of Modern Love. Race wasn't an issue to him, which was an issue to me with Lorraine Toussaint the actor who reads the story 
an essay by Kim McLaren. And that essay was about this writer. I'd never heard of her. She's an academic. She's an English professor. I'm not sure where, but she's also a damn good writer. This essay was very good about her experience with interracial dating. And I am in an interracial relationship. So I was, my interest was piqued about it, particularly because you recommended it and I trust your judgment. And then I listened to it and I was like, Steve, we got to talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny. Someone in my writing group talks about, you know, she works, she's a writer. She also owns her own company and she does EMT and she has had COVID and she's dealing with so many people on the ambulance who are COVID, some of them who had passed from COVID. And she just was talking about needing love and needing reassurance of love during this time and how fulfilling the podcast was. And I was like, I'm not listening to no modern love. I am down with no love right now. And I listened to that one and specifically not only what she wrote, but kind of the comments and the commentary that happens after each episode, after each actor Yeah. It's just as fantastic. And it, I was hooked in. I was like, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. Yeah, and this is like another thing where it's like to each her own and his own podcast because and their own because I still haven't listened. <laughs> I listened to this one and I still haven't listened to any more. And I trust that they are all really good. And especially- I just listened to this one where a man had a, a disease and he also had Lyme disease and he lost his ability to speak. And he had connected with a woman who had a similar disability and she traveled to meet with them. And then they spent all this time together figuring out how to communicate love without actually talking to each other. Mm. And he finally pushed himself, or not pushed himself, he, as best he could, tried to tell her he loved him and he was saying words And she didn't understand him. She goes, I'm sorry, honey. I can't hear Mm. what you're saying. I'm sorry. I'm giving away the whole thing. That sounds like me and Asa. (laughs) (laughs) Ten times a day I say, I'm sorry. I can't understand you. You're going to have to try again. (laughs) Do you think it's because he doesn't have the... What do you think that is? I think it's because he's six and he's he's constantly trying me. And he tries out different voices. And some of them I can't interpret. He literally sometimes is speaking gibberish and I can't interpret it. And I, and I, and he's trying to see how far I will, how long I will tolerate it. <laughs> yeah. I guess in general, it's, it's interesting the ways, and I don't know where you want to go, but in general, it's interesting the ways people are supporting each other. Like I don't FaceTime, never FaceTime with my mother, mm-hmm. but now my mother is on Facebook and is calling me to Facebook chat through Facebook. And I'm like, mom, you know, I have to be on <laughs> Facebook for this to work. I keep logging on and seeing I have a missed call from you. I'm on a family group chat of 20 people. We have our group chat. So it's just interesting the ways that people are connecting and trying to support and show love for each other without saying I love you. That's deeply interesting to me because it's like the medium is the message. That's my media theorists coming through. It's like the medium is the channel. Right. The channel through which you're trying to connect. So it is interesting how people gravitate to different media for different purposes. Yes. And for you, Facebook is this, but for your mom, it's this. Right. My sister sends history posts and funny Facebook clips all the time because, like, it's important to have our Black joy also. 
So I love like this one guy I follow on Facebook who's a, a writer, a playwright. He put on his Facebook post, like, what is your favorite Martin episode? And it was so hilarious to think about Martin and think and like try to figure out which one was my favorite episode. Mm-hmm. Everyone commenting and then just like cracking up at old Martin. Just mm-hmm. having that moment. Oh, can we talk about it? Because Martin is one of my favorite all time. Please, don't get me started. Don't get me started. I don't even want to think about how it does or does not hold up in this era. Just thinking about Shanene will crack Mm. me up. (laughs) Thinking about Shanene. But then, did you watch, have you seen Disclosure, the Netflix doc? No, I haven't watched it yet. I need to watch that. Well, I don't want to spoil it for you. There's I don't, no, I don't, I'm I was not, gonna say, I'm I don't know if you can really spoil, spoil I don't know yeah. if you can really spoil a nonfiction documentary, but although all documentaries are nonfiction, right? Anyway, I don't think you can spoil it. So I'll say they really do make the point of why men in drag playing trans, like why Shanene contributes to the violence that trans women face. There's one really good interview in that documentary and I don't remember her name. She's a writer. I'll put it in the show notes because she's so good. She's the best interview in the whole thing, I think. And she makes the point that because we have this cultural norm in you know, TV and film of a man in drag as a representation of a trans woman, yes, it's part of why we don't see them as women. Right. Because it's comedic. Yes, and, and she talks laughed, about, laughed and not at. even just comedic, but she makes the point of, what's his name? Eddie Redmayne, who won yes. for whatever that movie, The Dutch Girl, who won the yes. Oscar for The Dutch Girl. Right. How a big part of like the myth making there that fucks shit up for trans women is that part of the skill that, they, that we're awarding and celebrating is the fact that he, we know he's a man. He's not playing a woman as a woman. He's playing a woman as a man. And it still connects us to the concept that a trans woman is actually a man. Yes. And she says it much better than me. It's like really deep. And our culture is certainly not there to understand this. Absolutely not. But it was a, it, it really made sense to me. So anyway, I say that long. But we most certainly say, can be at a point where we allow people to have the right to live their lives and we don't harm them or murder them. That's true. For that's that right. True. We should we can certainly be there. That's absolutely true. But that's why there's not like a cultural consensus. Right. That's why JK Rowling is still out here winning. Right. Cause she is a transphobe. And unequivocally, like I don't think anybody I don't think there's much dispute about whether or not she's a transphobe. She is a transphobe. People know it and it doesn't matter. It right. just doesn't matter at all. All right, so <laughs> is that true? I just feel like I really want to get into so many things and we're already off on so many things. <laughs> it's fine. It's all part of the conversation. It's all part of the conversation. So I guess I wanted to start with Modern Love and what brought us here to the microphone together, which was this conversation about race relations and intimate ones, intimate relationships across race. And oh, that's what we're talking about today. I didn't know that's (laughs) That's where we're starting. Okay, that's actually not what we're here to talk about. This is another, this is part a piece of us warming up. This is the Amuse Bush. Okay, because we're really here to talk about Michaela Cole. (sighs) Okay, and we have to we have to warm up 
because she deserves us warm. Yes, she okay. absolutely does. So back on Kim McLaren and the post commentary, because I was listening to that essay like snapping. Yes. <laughs> Tell it, yes. girl. Yes. And then she gets into the commentary and it's just like, oh God, Jesus. This is the conversation I want to be having. I'm like, where is the workshop where we're getting together to have these conversations? So my next question to you is like, are you having them with other people besides me? And and will you invite me next time? What conversations? Like what kind of conversations? Like the conversation Kim McLaren is having with the interviewer from Modern Love at the end of that podcast, at the end of that essay reading. I was thinking to myself, Kim, can we get in a room and build because this, these points you're making about the limits of this dialogue with people who don't get it and that you're not going to keep doing it and that you're tired. It's like, yes, she, I she, am absolutely having that conversation and including having that conversation with the people who, you know, I, I keep using this metaphor that when it comes to race relations, Black people are in the PhD program. Yes. And white people are kind of in second grade. Yes, to put it as simply as possible. <laughs> to put, put it in terms yes. of the black and, white binary. Right, right, not literally. No one yes. get offended when they hear this, but put in terms of like the binary, right? Or get offended. Yeah. And so how much work that requires us on all levels, even the work to put in more work to fix it. Yeah, and, and so, just like I have, and you and I talk about, I am abandoning that. That's what white fragility gave me is the, the reminder and the new awareness that that's not my burden. Right, and, and that's a new place for us also to realize that's not our burden. And for some people, and maybe not others, but to also get comfortable with that being your reality and what that looks like. And I don't know if everyone is. Not everyone is there or has to be there. They don't but have it to is, be. They don't have to be, but it is. Not everybody needs a PhD. Not everybody needs a PhD. The PhDs are here to do their job. Right. Or our job. Right. And that is liberating to me, that notion that actually, it's like like actually not new, but also new. It's not new to me, this concept of don't ask Black people to solve this for you, right? That's not a new talking point. But what was new and what is, is new to me in this moment is how I have burdened myself with holding comfort for white people. Absolutely. Do you know how long you worked in corporate America and how many microaggressions you held inside of your body and how that has an effect on you? Hello, me, you, everybody we know. Everybody. And some people handle it different. Maybe some people are numb to it. Maybe it's not as relevant to some people. I don't know what it is. I can only speak to my experience but I definitely had a moment where I'm just like, man, all those times where it was a small thing and I didn't say anything because I didn't want to make them uncomfortable or I didn't want to do the work of unpacking all of this when I'm just trying to get through my day. Yes. But that that for, type of stuff builds and we hold it in our bodies. And for their it. comfort, for the comfort of others and for your own survival. Absolutely. And it does build and it is a cumulative trauma. Absolutely. It is a cumulative trauma with a negative impact because of not be, not getting addressed. Right. Like I listened to a Harvard Business Review podcast yesterday about the opportunities in trauma and that there's there's both. Like trauma can can 
create consequences and it can also create opportunity. It's an opportunity. It's a moment. Like there's there's potential for real leaps and growth from it, as well as to get further entrenched. In right. Stuff. I said the quote yesterday that said. Killing is not about fixing yourself. And I don't know who the person is. I should yes. It's about discovering yourself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's about, it's not about coming to an end point, but about continuing this forward motion and this forward momentum of progress. Like Right. So get back to your point. I am having these conversations where I'm, whether I'm having it with our friend Faith Allegra, whether I'm having it with my sister or my dad or my mom. I am having this conversation and I'm a lot of people have different viewpoints on it and different experiences. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm de- absolutely having this conversation. Okay. So I don't feel left out of that because that's your family and your personal relationships. And I have those too. I think I'm just like, which is why I re committed to putting my podcast out is that I need it. I really, really need this outlet right now. Right. And it's really serving me and using it to grow a connection to this conversation because that's what I'm like. I'm really hungry for this discourse and, and... And then I'm also following other discourses. You know, I follow a lot of artists on Instagram. I'm part of the acting community slash theater community slash comedy community. So I'm also seeing those conversations happening in groups and things like that. Okay, yes, thank you. So you're talking about the industry conversations and right. the pockets. So spill it. Anything to, to, to share from those conversations? Not that I can think of off the top of my head, but I know that there's different conversations about what we want you know, there's always a conversation of if we want to change what's already established versus the conversation of whether we build what we want ourselves. And it doesn't have to be an either or, it could be both. Mm-hmm. But that's definitely a conversation that's always being had. Mm-hmm. Have you had any like moments of relief or hopefulness based on what you've heard from someone else? I have to be honest. I've been struggling with hope. Mm. Not in the sense, not in the sense of hope for my life or hope for my nephews or hope like that, but in the sense of a lack of hope and change, maybe. I have to think about it more. Mm-hmm. But I've been I, I I struggle with if hope is even necessary. I am hopeful that I will get my piece that I'm writing done. I'm hopeful of tomorrow. I'm hope, you know, there's a lot of things to have hope for. But hope, hope for, I don't know. What does hope mean to you, I guess I should ask? What do you mean by hope? I mean, hope, hope that... For what? Hope, hope for change? Hope for this democracy. Hope for our American citizenship. Hope that we're not just on a sinking ship. Hope for our children. Um, hope that, you know, climate change is not... That, that climate change might not just do us all in. and that the I have hope that we have the power. I have hope that we have the power to change. And I'll tell you what I see hope in. I see hope in the way that my sister, I see hope in my nephews. Mm-hmm. I see hope in their freedom. I see hope in the way that they can express themselves. I see hope in all the ways that they're allowed to have their little black boy joy. I do see hope in a future for them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the reason I have that hope is because I can already see the change. And them. Okay, thank that you. Makes I any sense. Well, I was gonna ask why, and I <laughs> it's like I like the sound of it, but I'm not buying it yet. Like, yeah, <laughs> I can see the change in them. I can see when my nephew gets frustrated and he's like, I'm angry, I didn't like this. That mm-hmm. is helpful to me. The fact that he can mm-hmm. express themselves, the fact that he is running outside 
and playing. Now, I know eventually my sister, if she hasn't already, will have to have that conversation with them that all Black parents have to have with their sons and daughters about the reality of the world. You don't think she's had any version of that conversation? I definitely think she's had that conversation. Yeah. As a mom grappling with this, who feels like I personally feel committed to, to doing this better for my child, I really feel like it's not one and it's very much not one and done. It's no, it, there's not one talk. This, and I, I, I take issue with this idea of a talk, the talk. <laughs> it's not one talk. That's why it's a PhD program. Yeah, that sounds like something white people say in their like essays, like black mothers have to have the talk. And I'm like, if you knew how many talks that was. <laughs> You would be writing this article every day. It's a life of learning. If you knew how many talks there were, you would give us credit for the level of expertise we hold with this topic. And you would let us lead it. You would would fall back and just let us lead it. Yeah. Rather than trying to to validate your space in it. Yeah, so I feel like I'm hired in that with my own And that is a talk that I've also been having, not only that talk, but also I have been slightly pointing out the ways or what I perceive as slight ways in which I'm curing internalized racism from Mm -hmm. people that I talk to. Mm -hmm. Which I think... You're getting getting sharper at naming and identifying microaggressions? No, I'm getting better and naming and pointing out and seeing the ways that we can also internalize what's been told us, what's been told to us. And you know what I find particularly tricky is practicing not being black and white, not 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 treating everything as a binary, practicing a spectrum approach. Yes. It's really tricky because everything is binary because it's so simple to digest yes. that way. Absolutely. And I say that because people being stuck in their own programming is not just black and white either. No, absolutely not. It's like there's so many ways. It's, it's as varied as there are people. Like there are many as many points of view views as there are people, which is something Michaela Cole said in her uh, Edinburgh TV Festival lecture, which we'll get to in a moment. We're about to segue to, to that. And that because there's so many different perspectives, we all play this out differently. Like I keep getting smacked with the fact that like the ways in which I'm, I get in my own way Absolutely. And that that's not the same as the ways you might get in your own way, even though we, we suffer the same root cause of our families having, of our ancestors having been brought here in chains. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Like, we have that commonality. We have a race commonality. We have a lot of culture commonality as Americans. But we experience and manifest differently. Yes, right? I, I just, a, just a small tidbit. I yesterday was on a Zoom call for my high school, which was an elite, private, white boarding school. And what we said will be confidential, but just because everyone is Black, yeah, there were some commonalities there, but we all have a different, we all had different experiences. Yeah. And keeping my eye on the prize of liberation, that is really challenging to me. <laughs> like navigating the ways in which I might be standing in my own way with helping you get out of your own way. And to just draw back, one of the ways which you may be standing in your own way 
is to continue to take on the role of making them feel comfortable when they have insulted you or were racist towards you or had a microaggression or or, uh, putting their feelings in that space above yours. Now, I know the purpose of racism also is to invalidate your voice and take away your power and all of that stuff. But yeah, just getting to this place where you're just like, I I have to go take care of me. I cannot worry about how you're feeling about this or I need to say this and I can't worry about how you're feeling about this when I'm telling you about my experience. That makes a lot of sense. But then take me there into the real practice of it. The actual discomfort of that is hard. Super hard. Absolutely. Super hard. Right. And, but I would rather be focusing on me getting there than educating you about all this stuff that you can go on google.com. I totally agree. But tell me about how you deal with the discomfort. How do I deal with the discomfort? For example, someone who loves you does some, that like keeps showing up as an obstacle <laughs> to like your own comfort. And like freedom of expression. We we have a conversation about how uncomfortable it all is. How uncomfortable it is to say if I'm angry, if I'm uncomfortable, if I'm whatever. I'm also describing that. But I, I feel like I ha- you have to get through there in order to get through t- to the other side. And I think part of that is, and this is going to be a very quick tangent, is openness. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we need to be open for attack, but I try to go into conversations open, mm-hmm. which means vulnerable mm-hmm. and not being afraid of going there. And I'm saying d- doing this mostly with people you trust. But I think your question was, how yeah. do you deal with the discomfort? I deal how with the discomfort. How do you access that vulnerability? Like in, sorry, finish your point. How do I access the vulnerability? I access the vulnerability by being aware that I have the confidence to get through to the other side. Okay, so you have to be centered for that. Yes, their response to me is not, their response to me is not a takedown of me. It's not a, there's stuff going on with them too. Because sometimes that's in the moment you're centered and you can do that. And sometimes it's in hindsight. Yes. Yes. Just a quick example, which you might take out in the podcast. Like the other day, I'm in a class where we're working on monologues, right? Mm-hmm. And I have an idea of how I'm going to play this character. So I go and I do the monologue. I have an idea that's a little bit more closed, not closed. You're open when you're acting, but it's a little bit more. So the teacher said, take every sentence and ask it as, as if it's a question, as if it's a discovery, as you're saying it. You don't already know. You know the lines, but you don't mm-hmm. know which way you're going to play it. Put mm-hmm. a question mark almost. And when I did that, I literally, in the middle of the scene, started crying, and everyone on the Zoom call got emotional, and it literally shifted the way I was doing that monologue. I think about that with people. I am someone who goes into conversations very often, running the conversation a million times in my head, so that I can be prepared and have myself prepared. That closes you off sometimes. It can a little bit. So going into conversations open to being vulnerable, open to learning things, I think is the way that I'm trying to go into these conversations because I want to get through to the other side. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that totally tracks with my point of view about like, I put it, I frame it in terms of curiosity. Yeah. Connect to to what you might be curious about and, consider curiosity as a tool 
to show up to a difficult conversation. Right. What don't you're you do? probably having a lot of difficult conversations and you're surrounded by, I mean, most of the people you're surrounded by now are white. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not my, I don't have any of my Mills family around and um, everyone I know here is through my white family. And so it's Southern, so everyone has the level of hospitality. Do you feel like people are kind of tiptoeing around conversations? Do you feel like... No, uh, yes and no. Like, I'm, cur- I'm curious <laughs> about what I don't know about what's going on for people because I don't have many intimate relationships here. I have my husband and my son for my real intimate relationships. And then next, in terms of death, I would say, are my in-laws and my sister circle of <laughs> my husband's godmothers yeah. who, have, who have brought me in who are actually um, a multiracial group of women. And I just want to say the approach I'm talking about is in intimate relationships and people you trust and know. Obviously, with someone who's a co-worker who you don't have that relationship, the discomfort is going to be a little bit different and the approach might be different. Yeah. A co-worker and also my neighbors. Right. Yeah. The approach is going to be different. Yeah. And then there's also my work relationships, like groups I'm a part of and clients I'm talking to and prospects I'm talking to on my work. I find that professionally, I'm going much further and I'm having real, honest, in my zone conversations where I'm not hiding myself as much as I am navigating like the comfort level of my family relationships. I'm definitely getting more confident with it. I have not, I've not always had the confidence. I'm not where necessarily, you know, I'll get wherever I need to go with it, but. Are you talking about personally or professionally? Both, both. Yeah, there's still more work to be done. I agree. And uh, I am really oriented to towards my career as being in, a, in alignment with my soul. Absolutely. And so that's where most of my energy is. Like uh, most of my energy is in making this podcast <laughs> because this is my vehicle to connect to the big ideas like on my own terms. Yes. Michaela Cole frequently talks about it, her work as her baby. Yes. So can we just Go there. Yeah, let's go. Michaela, are you ready for us? <laughs> because Michaela, as, can you hear me? Michaela, are you okay? <laughs> as I said to you on text chat yesterday, this is a Michaela Cole Stan account from here forward, <laughs> from this day forth, as of as of this moment. So, I. Like you, I believe, Steve, have recently been turned all the way out by the new HBO series, I May Destroy You. It just had episode six. As of this recording, episode six is the newest episode out. That puts us at the halfway mark of the series. And it's like, it's so exciting. It's so exciting to me as like someone who follows media and culture. Like, we are at this moment where her baby, as she would describe it, is halfway out, she said. <laughs> at, in yes. Interview on the New Yorker podcast this week, she said, well, the baby's still crowning, not crowning, but like still being delivered. And she sees it as like this 12 episode thing. The audience is only halfway through it. So she's re- holding 
her sense of how it's been received because it hasn't, it's not all the way out yet. Right. Which I thought was really interesting because it's so like in line with the way that I studied media theory, which is that, and she says this like really eloquently herself, like, isn't it that the audience, it's almost like the show continues to be written and it's meeting of the audience. It's exactly like that queen. That's exactly right. That. There's the part that you create and there's the part that the audience receives and the whole thing is the thing. Absolutely. It's not yours. Once the you whole thing is the relationship with what with, with the piece of art. That's what the meaning is. The meaning is when it meets the audience and how those things mix together in this moment and, and going forward throughout history, how the history of the thing gets written and, how, and what the impact of it is. So... That's what I'm so excited about is that happening with this series because it's so new and refreshing. Yes. I'm just so excited. I mean, I'm excited by the show. I'm excited by... I'm excited because there's no melodrama. Mm, It's so... I'm excited because it's so centered. I'm excited because so much with, with being Black so much of what we produce, and I don't, I don't want to get into comparisons, but there is a lack of explanation here. She is just putting us into the world with yeah. these characters. There's not a whole lot of exposition about like how you do coke or how this happens. <laughs> it's just happening in she's front not, of us. Yes, she's like pulling us along. She's not like pushing us in a stroller. Right, because one of the key features of whiteness is that otherness has to be explained. Yeah. And made digestible. And made digestible, right. And that's not happening. That's one of the things that's incredibly modern and refreshing about it. It's unpredictable. It's truly, to me, an artist in her zone. Absolutely. Uh, And an artist in her zone because she is writing it. She's executive producing it. She is directing it. Yes, she is. When they get out of the way and let us do what we got to do, this is what we get. (laughs) And this is the point she made in the McTaggart lecture. Like, part of what's exciting to me about it is the entire experience of it. The vortex of Michaela Cole right now. Like, she is bursting through the culture, and it's just the beginning. Like, we are early adopters, you and I. I'm I'm watching to see how this thing is going to continue to unfold and explode because of the magnitude of her talent. Not just her talent, but her self-awareness. Yeah, and I think she's doing... power. I think she's doing such a great job, going back to what you were saying about black and white. Everyone is so nuanced. No one necessarily is good or bad. We're human. We have all these layers to us (laughs) that are happening. So it's really good. That episode six... I just, one of the things about episode six, which we can even get into, was just, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen episode six. Spoiler. Stop it and go watch it. But one of the things was very, at the very beginning, when her friend Terry is talking to the other friend about how she's become like a computer and someone else, how she's can Mm -hmm. become a shell of herself. Mm -hmm. And she's talking to another rape victim who's not responding to her, who is a shell of himself. And, and she, she said, like, right, go ahead. She says, you will notice, if you looked, you would notice it. Yes. If, you hard enough, if you're looking I'm, for it, you can notice it. Not you, You'll only see it if you're looking for it. And she's not looking for it. And him. she's not looking for it in him. Yep. And yet he's showing, he has no response. He's kind of painting what she 
marks as his like Banksy painting. And it just was so powerful. And it makes me think of all the ways we could be missing it in all our intimate relationships and people that we know around us. There is so, the, that text, the text of this show is so rich. I mean, we are truly watching a deeply gifted artist bless us with her gifts. Yes, I literally thought to myself, where am I missing it around the people? What am I missing about the people around me, if this is the case? It just really, I There's just was like, There's, To me, it's the, the deep exposure that I have certainly been missing of, of her British culture. Oh, yes, absolutely. Like, those accents are thick, and they're diasporic, if that's a word. I don't know. Yes, but it's also so... Refreshing to see black kinship, black friendship, black like the way the relationships, the relationships, the um, and like how she goes back into her British youth, like what it's yes. like public school in Britain, in Britain, yes, and as a black child of immigrants in a community of black children of immigrants in a public school, that's like just just and just her one experience of it that she's not. Baby stepping us through. That episode was complex. That episode was deep. And she talked about it in the New Yorker hour how, like, I was so delighted to hear her say that that was the episode where she really experienced the pleasure of her own power because no one else could envision that script but her. She had to come in and tell them this how to shoot it, the shots. She knew very clearly how to shoot it, and every single other person in the production was lost until she blessed them. With, with her vision, because nobody else could see it, because it is a singular work of art. Yeah, the life. other part of it is, you know, I was that black kid that drank. I'm the black kid that did drugs. I had fun. And to see that, and I know this is just a small part of it, but to see that freedom, to see them going to Italy, to see them having fun without any kind of setup of, whoa, now they're doing coke and being crazy. Or... <laughs> some type of explanation set up where... What made it possible. Right, of what made it possible. It not being written as it's going to be presupposed that someone might watch this and then we need to explain why these Black people are doing it. No, we are just fucking doing it and that's this is part of these characters' lives. Period. There's no spoon-feeding explanation. It's absent. And because it is absent it goes that much further. It goes exponentially further. So there's that happening. And the other piece that's really exciting to me is, like, as I said, the whole world of Michaela Cole, the fact that this is her second series, that she has grown and developed and is continuing to grow into her powers and her skills. Like, her skills are deepening through the practice, the kind of practice that you can only get through producing a series. And then the next version, if you stay on your game, is better. That's fucking exciting. Yeah. The, the idea that this might not even be her peak is incredibly exciting because this is the best show I have seen on TV and I can't tell you how long. It is so new and exciting. I didn't want to watch it. Like, let, let me take you through my journey, my journey with this shit. Is yeah, that- I'm really interested to hear because she is a Black woman and the show really is about a rape. Yes, I didn't want to watch it because I saw the preview and I got the sense that it was about, that it was a Me Too series, that it was about sexual assault. And I, you and I have discussed this as well. I'm not in the mood 
to have a hard time when I turn on my TV. I don't want to go to a dark, hard place. I'm not interested in that. And so I resisted this series for a number of weeks. I probably got into the series between week three and week four only because I had been reading reviews, because the marketing of the show began to penetrate for me because I am also, besides not wanting to go to a dark place, am hungry for what I perceive as high-level content of color. I'm looking to see what Black women can do in, in media, but I want it to be, like, on my terms. I want it to be niche. <laughs> I want yeah. it to be, I want it to be niche for me. I don't want it yeah. to be, like, teeny bop, palatable, digestible, pop culture shit. I'm looking for what I'm looking for. Right. And, it, and it's greedy of me, and I'm standing in that space of, like, I want something that has literally never been on offer to me. That's what I want. And I didn't want to go, so again, I didn't want to go to a dark place. I didn't want to get into, I never really want to watch a show about sexual assault because it's just so hard. And I just want to, it's so funny that you just said greedy of you when there are tons of shows for other people out Mm -hmm. there. And yet you think finding one or two of the shows for you is being greedy. Well, it's like, that's how I know what you mean with my Americanness is that I, I have been raised on a glut of content. Like, there's just so much stuff all the time. But you're supposed... But also that I'm supposed to ex- expect to not be centered. Like, for my, for my identity to be nowhere on the page. It's and, actually and, funny. It's funny you say that because I haven't even recognized that I have not been watching anything, really. Yeah. Like, when people say, oh, what are you watching? I'm like, I can't even think of what I've been watching. So maybe that's part of it. I'm waiting every Sunday or Monday now Mm -hmm. for the show to come out, especially since Insecure is... Yeah, exactly. I I watch one thing at a time. I was watching Insecure, it's over, and then I was watching nothing. Oh, I've been watching Drag Race All-Star. Right, absolutely. That's it. Like, one thing at a time, because I just, like, I'm just completely uncompromising about what I'm looking for out of content right now. It took however many versions of this show is really good for me to hear that from my Twitter feed, from Facebook ads, from Instagram, from wherever I was hearing it, from people I know. I don't even remember who was, like, where I heard it. But it took however many times for me to hear that, well, the show's really good. I think it was also Kid Fury on the read talking about it. I don't always trust their opinion particularly about HBO, because I think they have some kind of HBO deal. <laughs> so that wasn't enough. But finally, it got through to me, like, oh, I'll give it a try. Yeah, I had watched it. Chewing Gum, and I had really yeah. liked Chewing Gum. I actually just ordered her Chewing Gum Dreams, which Chewing Gum is based on. I'm excited to read it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, look at you so deep in your craft. I'm writing a one-person play, so I'm trying to get all the one-person plays. I just ordered Fleabag also. Um, mm-hmm. But that's partially what attracted, and I knew that I really liked her voice. Yeah, exactly. Did things that I don't, I just don't see, like the whole scene with her boyfriend. Like it, if it had been billed as a comedy, I would have been in right away because I, I was already in right. even though I thought it was like cringy, which is how they describe it. I also thought it was so such a fresh voice. It's so interesting the way she uses comedy in this show because it shows her mastery and complete... It's like she's grabbing it by the reins. It's like she's saying, yeah. this is my story. I can... I can. It lets... The comedy lets a little bit air out of it, but it also shows how much she is in control of her craft. Yes, and that, like, deep dramas always have elements of, of humor and wit in them. Yeah. 
I saw something Felicia Rashad said that a professor of hers at Howard when she was studying acting told her drama appeals to the emotions, comedy appeals to the intellect. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Felicia Rashad. That's exactly what I mean. So if you're getting into something heady, there's going to be some comedy in it if it's, going to, if, if it's entertaining as well. Like, there's some real, like, flex of your talent on display if you can really, if you can do wit. Yeah. If, if you can be witty, that's a real flex of your, of your talent, of your gifts. And she can do that. And so uh, just to put a period on it, I watched because I heard it was good and I was willing, good enough to give it a try. So I watched it and then I couldn't stop watching it. Sam and I watched it together. My husband Sam and I watched it together and we binged the first four episodes the, the night that we started watching it. I did also. It, because it was so riveting, because it was clearly like, oh, who do you, oh, obviously, like, who did I think I was to, to, to think I knew what I was getting? I had no idea what I was getting into when I turned that show on. It's like all my concerns about watching a show about assault, they just don't actually matter because the show is so good. The, show, the journey the show is going to take you on is so worth it. It is so much more than you think it is. It doesn't matter what you're telling yourself this show is. You don't fucking know. Watch it. That's my review. Yeah, I guess my two points was is that she has such an openness about her experience. And one of the things that was really powerful for me was the discovery that takes place here. I remember when she was, spoiler alert, in the police station and the police officer had said assault. And she said, oh, wait, I didn't say assault. Where, where?" And as she's going through her, revealing to her that it was a rape assault, she's also coming to terms with it as well. Like, not in denial, but coming to terms with what actually happened to her. And then there's also the scene with her friend Kwame in the police station where the police are yes. not equipped for so many reasons to deal with this gay man being raped. Yeah, they're just like, not in any way. Like, it's so remedial the way that they're dealing with him. And how complex race is. How you can have what may start off as a consensual relationship Mm -hmm. and then it can lead to rape. And she constantly shows where things are consensual and then they become rape. Challenging us. She's not spoon-feeding us. It is a show that is going to challenge your preconceptions about cultural norms, about what you assume to be the baseline of our understanding, our ethics around morality, around what happens to who, around what it means that this happens to you. It's fucking so... It is exactly... Like, I couldn't tell you... When I talked about... When I was talking about a, a minute ago being greedy for content, I meant that in the sense that, like, I'm sitting here indignant about what you're offering, but I can't tell you what I want. Right. And if I could, if you could do the work that I want you to do, Netflix or whoever um, distributor, to go into my brain and tease out this thing, this would have been it, and I would never have been able to tell you that. Like, I didn't know that I wanted this show. I didn't know that this show was going to be everything I'm looking for. (laughs) It's, It's like, I am looking for this level of content. It's so good and rich. It's such good art. 
It's fun. It's funny. It's deep. It's dark. It's challenging. It's compelling. Yeah. I want. It's a mystery. It's the fucking future. Yes. And I just want to say the other part for me is that with everything, her being her rape, her being a black woman, her dealing with Netflix, her dealing with yeah. all the troubles that she had to go through when she was writing Chewing Gum and trying to become executive producer. Yet and still, she still has a voice. And it's really inspiring to see that with all of these structural systems, which try to, which are formed to disempower us, to take away our power, to take away our voice. When she did the, was it the Edinburgh? What was the Edinburgh it? TV Festival wow. James McTaggart lecture. The a James McTaggart lecture. A thing I have never heard of before. You need to put this in the liner or the whatever show notes. notes. Show notes, yeah. Well, that's the, that's the, ne- the, the next and most important point I want to make here around the zeitgeist of Michaela Cole is watch that YouTube lecture. It will be in the show notes for this episode. And that is the other piece of this that turns me into a foaming at the mouth stand for her. Because that lecture to me, regardless of like, if even if only like 10,000 people in the whole world ever see it, I don't know how many YouTube views it has, regardless if only the people in that room ever listen to it, the ripple effects of that, I guarantee you are, are, are broad and wide. Because, okay, two points, one, and you can, I, I, I'm curious to hear your take on this, but I'm going to say it and keep going. So, so hold this point, Steve, because I want to okay. hear your reaction to it. One is she's mining her own experience in a way that, like, I, I, I know you're now tasked with doing your own one person, one man show. She, like, it's so consistent through every time you see her show up in media, in interviews, in this YouTube speech, in this show, chewing on, she's, deeply involved in the work of telling her own story and turning it into fictional transcendent art. It is fucking hard as shit to do that. It is the mark of her particular genius that she can do this because it, to me, it seems like the hardest thing on earth to do is to actually turn this real thing that happened to you into a, awareness and art. Like that is the thing that it sounds to me, the sense that I get that she's been practicing since she was a child and she's coming into a real mastery of, and that mastery is on display, and it is a real gift to culture because it's it's why this show is so good, and it's particular to her. You know, you can't, you can't one artist is never going to do the same art as another. But that right, which is why I don't get into it. I try to avoid doing any like compare and contrast yeah. or whatever. I'm yeah. just trying to take this piece of art as itself and yeah. what it means to me. Yeah, and I'm talking about that particular task of mining your own story for art, to me, is really impressive and brave and bold and hard to do. Memoir is a, is, is a, is a tough art form, from my opinion. Like, I, I'm, I'm afraid to approach it. Yes, especially, especially because the lines become blurred between what is the character and what is your story, and you want to really be completely honest. And it goes keeps going back to what your point was about earlier about things not being black and white. 
that they're nuanced. I can be someone doing Whole30, and yet I find myself drinking half a carton of orange juice, which has sugar in it. And I mean, that's a really, <laughs> that's a really simple explanation of yes. it. But we are complex. We are so many things. We are so many things. We are so many things. And, and to be point. honest, is, yes. be honest and vulnerable and truthful about being those so many things. Yeah. And I heard this point made another way. Um, in college, Shaka made a documentary in film class. Shaka King, friend of, our, of both of ours, filmmaker, made this documentary in college, like the first thing I ever knew him to make, about hip-hop. And there's hip-hop journalists in it, Russell Simmons is in it, and there's one journalist in it, I can't remember his name, but he's talking about Nas and how Nas kind of lost his way. Because his first album, you know, it's the classic Nas. It's like his most famous work and one of the most famous hip-hop albums of all time. Illmatic? Illmatic. Oh, okay. So Illmatic is like this classic work of art, right? That totally changed the landscape of hip-hop because of how singular the work was. And then the journalist makes the point that like, but then like the next album is like, he's in a, he's wearing a pink suit smoking a cigar on the Vegas Strip. It's like, what the, like, he, he didn't have anything else to say. He mined his whole life for that first album and then he couldn't duplicate it because it's really hard to do. That's, that, that always stayed with me at that point. That it, and it actually really, Well, I think it's like really... His new life, his new life as a huge hip-hop success had bore no resemblance to his past and it's why the art wasn't as good the next time. Well, I have to be honest. I don't have that level of success, so I don't know. But if I can think about it, I think one of the things is, is what is your voice? And I can only imagine that if your voice is pop and whatever else, then it doesn't, you're just trying to sell albums. It's not really about how good it is, right? If that's yeah. what you want to be, if you want to be a multi-million selling artist, it doesn't necessarily always have to be the best work. But with that level of popularity, how do you get your voice? And even going back to Michaela, I'm thinking about, she was talking about writing this in the middle of the woods in Michigan. Yeah. Like she went somewhere remote so she that she could touch. hear her own self and get in touch with her own self. She's in touch with what she needs as an artist yes. to do her work. Which is another thing that is very modern. It's like the self-care aspect of being your best self. Right. And you know, self-care has revolutionary roots, so... Yes. Thank you. Like, that's why it's so many things to me. Like, it's so deep and rich. This art, us us witnessing the emergence of this artist. Like, I want to... I would protect Michaela Cole at all costs. Which is why our healing is revolutionary. Our dealing with all the things we internalize is revolutionary. Our refusal to make spaces comfortable for other people, our, you know, our ability to use our voices. This is all part of work that is transformative and revolutionary. Thank you, Steve. That's the point I would, I would have missed articulating, which is why I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> and then I- sometimes I think all these conversations, you know, I had a conversation with Faith Allegra and we were talking about, and I love to hear, and I don't want to drive this on too long, but you know, at the same time, there's 
these kind of esoteric talks and things and changing the letter B to capital. And then I talk to my mom and it's it's about whether or not there's a grocery store in her neighborhood for her to be able to eat. So there's also these things that are people mm-hmm. are experiencing and going through. So there's a privilege to being able to have this conversation because mm-hmm. people are having real world issues right now with unemployment and trying to pay rent and feeding their family. So there's also that, you know what I mean? And both can happen in the space, but I always try to remember that also. That's a piece of your expertise, by the way, Steve. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And that's a piece of like the PhD program is that we are able to hold both, hold one thing. Yeah. And it helps inform our sense of reality. Right. Which expands our view, doesn't constrict, helps us expand. Right. That's a really valuable thing. Because sometimes I'm like, what does this have to do with people's ability to eat right now? And the way that like we can use that against our own selves is to burden ourselves with guilt rather than to see it as just a piece of expertise that, Absolutely. that yeah. expands our ability to be ethical, compassionate, empathic, revolutionary contributors to the progress of the future. So yeah, see so many, so much and so many things. Podcasting is so interesting. I like try to prepare myself a little bit. I try to be like, don't do arms. Make sure you stop when you're coming and then you get into the conversation, especially because... (laughs) And then I'm like in the conversation and I'm now, you know, I I left all of that behind. I guess I was making myself a little vulnerable and open. I mean, to me... Enjoying this conversation. Yes, to me, it's all a work in progress. And I like... I don't want to go back to work now. Hello. One of the things I have learned is to follow the energy. Pay attention to where the energy is. That's where that's the magic. That's a good point. And like don't penalize it. Let it let it flow. So to sum up, thank you, Michaela Cole, for this singular, amazing, spectacular. Michaela Cole, we are watching you. And I also like my my anxiety and worry is around putting too much pressure on her, is around the potentials for the for for the Kanye West version of her life, <laughs> for the Kanye West cautionary tale is my real anxiety. Not that Kanye was ever this deep. I mean, but sorry, not to not to trash talk Kanye West. I do believe that he is a deep artist who has contributed a lot <laughs> at, alongside being batshit and dangerous and menacing to the culture. Yeah, that's absolutely there. And I think that's also there is the requirement. I mean, how many Kanye West are in the white popular culture? There's 10,000 of them. And so there's also... I worry about, like, but I, like, part of what's the thing about Kanye is tragedy. Yes, absolutely. sorrow. Absolutely. story, and I don't, like I don't want that for us. I don't want yeah. I don't want us to have to suffer like that to be a part of this world. And that is the other thing that to me is incredibly promising about Michaela Cole and why I recommend again that YouTube lecture is that she's literally making that specific point that in order for us to be a part of this for profit art business, we have got to bring care into the workplace. Right, which was so interesting about her statements about the, something as simple as how they put 
all the black people, all the actors in one trailer on the set, and they had no like when should she brought it up. Should they have noticed the slave ship on their hands? Quote. Should they have noticed the slave ship on their hands? That metaphor was so deep. I listened to, I re-listened to it yesterday, and I got so much more the second time. So I would recommend that as well, Steve. Watch it a second time because she says it so articulately in this essay speech that she wrote for the for the event that says the producer has in one column the actors who said no to sharing a trailer, which turned out to be one actor, one white actor in one column who said no, and a handful of black actors in the other column who said, yes, we will share. Should she have noticed the slave ship on her hands? Literally, she painted a picture of of, of two hands holding two realities. Yeah. Should she have noticed that she what she was actually holding was a slave ship? Should she have? It's a fucking deep ass question. It's a and the deep fact ass- that she doesn't didn't goes back to the point. Also, I keep saying goes back to the point, but also is the point that not only have to we have to deal with that goddamn trauma trauma of seeing people five all in the same trailer. We have to then point it out. And then we then have to deal with your emotions around this? No. For the for answer to the first question is yes. The sec- answer to the second question is no. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yes, exactly. We do have to point it out because, we, like, one of my main basic tenets of my new point of view on race is we cannot expect anyone to want to understand an experience they're not having. You don't expect that out of your personal relationships. Your therapist will counsel you away from that expectation if you are bringing it to your relationship. Right, and that's the point that I made to a friend who happens to be, what's the phrase everyone uses? Happens to be white or whatever. I was pointing out that the only reason why she would be driving me crazy right now Mm-hmm. It's because she did not have my experience. Because the people who have had my experience or understand my experience were not driving me in a way that was requiring me to get back in touch with them. Yes. And also experience as expertise is another like big um, theme of that lecture that Michaela Cole gives. And so there's that. Sorry, I think that was it. Basically, like... No, she's not going to notice. You do have to make the point and you have to be empowered to make the point and to sit at the table with the person who doesn't get it because they're not going to and they don't have to and it's burdensome to keep needing them to get it in order for you to all move forward together at the same time, at the same pace. That's not That cannot be a condition of our liberation or else we ain't never going to be free. Well, yeah, I also just really pondered this whole like... You know, that's where I mean the hope. I'm like, God, this really requires us to be soldiers in this war. And, you know, there's a whole argument of us building it for ourselves and having it for ourselves, which we have tried and then yeah, have destroyed. It's not as a war. Right, yeah, true. Maybe it's like that questioning whether or not you need to fight a war to be free. Do you, does it have to be a war? Is it the terms of war that have kept us trapped in a, in a fight for freedom? These are all great questions. You most certainly do not think I'm about to answer that right now. <laughs> the whole point of this podcast is to get to these questions and to ask us all to consider them together and everybody who's still listening to share their point of view. In questions. I had a day the other day where I just had a full day of questions. I was like, I have actually no answers. And I want to be clear, whatever you may have heard, these are not 
necessarily answers. Like all we could just, all we just said, I could listen to this and get more information and change my viewpoint. Yep. That's, that's what's, that's what being open. I'm trying to be open even to viewpoints that I'm like so solidly like, this is what I think. I saw a meme that said something about, you know, taking in more information and being willing to change your perspective based on the information. Yes. That's the skill set that I'm out here trying to teach in the workplace is the skill, the practical application of the skill of listening so that you can grow that skill through practice because it has world-changing implications to practice curiosity, to practice listening, to practice validation, to practice taking in and then applying new choices, even if they're uncomfortable, and taking in the experience of the new data that gives you. Which that episode six, her and her friend have a difference of opinion. I think the girl says her name's Fiona. What was the white woman's name in episode six? Theo. Theo. And so her friend has made a decision about this, Theo, based off of her experience. Yeah. Yeah. And Arabella takes in more information, hears more, has a different relationship with her, and her viewpoint on Theo changes. Her viewpoint, partially out of necessity. She also in this mostly new, out of necessity. Yes, in this new reality that she finds herself as a young adult, she needs what Theo has to offer. And we who, see how who would have seen that coming. We see how complex Theo's story is. Yes, and how deep that. that oh, so exciting! I mean, the, the the way that they. Just the way that she, and I don't know if we need to cut this off, but the way that she cut it, Theo leaves that playground calling them African monkeys. She goes home to reveal that her mother forced her by violently choking her because she does a whole choking thing, which made me think her mom choked her to force her. Like, she does this thing around her neck, which I'm like, oh, my God, does that mean her mom forced her into lying about her father sexually molesting her? And then we hear that story, and then it cuts to repeating what she said at the beginning about who she is and and the space. And also what we don't know in the 15, 20 years since they've seen each other. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Who knows? Because all of a sudden, Theo shows up as an adult who's in an entirely different place than how Arabella knew her in high school. And how Theo's sexual experience goes from consensual to not, she did not consent to him taking that video. That's what Sam and I discussed after the fact. He didn't, like, I pointed out to him that she flipped the script on him. Yes. Oh my God, that episode is so deep because Theo flips the script. Theo, a a white blonde, poor white blonde student in this high school, tries to get some vengeance on a black young man who assaults her. She tries to get vengeance on him And then his Black Alliance, the episode is called The Alliance, episode six, stands up for him. And she doesn't have that. Poor white Theo doesn't have that in the school. He does and she doesn't. So so they get over back on her. She calls them African monkeys. It's literally the only thing she has. And also the Alliance has had their own experience with the white teachers. And I mean, they're detailing stories of a teacher smacking someone in the face 
They're yep. detailing stories of if they cry, it's an act of terrorism in that school. Yep. And they are also sitting it at a different place in 2004, which they let us know through like some text exchange right. in 2004, than we did in the 90s. Yes. And, and that whoever came before us did in the 80s and 70s and whatever. Yeah, that episode dragged up a lot of high school stuff for me. It brought up also this thing that she's... Um, that she has explicitly said that she's grappling with, which is, uh, like, the internet and web pages and, like, growing up with these digital tools and how that informs her adolescence and her young adulthood. Right, and how media can be used, yeah, and how media can be used which for is, which purposes. Is, which is new and refreshing. We're just beginning to see those voices mature. Right. Just beginning. People who grew up differently than we did. Not to Asia. Oh my God, this is so rich, Steve. I think we probably should wrap it up. I'm so glad we had this conversation. I'm so glad we had this conversation. I'm so glad. I'm so awake now, so thank you for that. (laughs) I didn't need coffee. I didn't, whatever else I thought I needed. Turns out I just needed to have a conversation with another human being. A real conversation, the kind of conversation I live for. So thank you, Steve. I'm so grateful. I can't wait for us to hear ourselves on the radio. You know I will never listen to this. I can't handle listening to myself. Oh my gosh, Steve, you're such a beautiful boy. I cannot handle this at all. I will not listen to this. Okay, well, that's up to you. That's your choice, Adam Driver. Sometimes I will watch myself for to give myself notes, but in terms of podcasts and listening, whenever I've done these, I don't listen to my voice. It's your world. I would just like to say I feel very confident in saying your voice will be a welcome salve to many people's ears. Oh, great. Not that you put salve in your ears. Salve, salve. <laughs> you know, my grandmother's from, from the South. Salve just makes me think of 10 cans with salve and then like layering it on my cuts or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is what it is. I was about to say, salve is a mother's best friend. Yes. Yes. That's your voice, Steve. My ears' best friend. So, uh, Thank you for sharing it, even though you won't enjoy it, many other people will. I enjoy being here, so I got the piece of the enjoyment I was supposed to get. And I'm grateful. Let's keep going. Will you please come back some other time? Absolutely. And when I finally get mine started, then you will have to come on. Yes! And please, everybody, stay tuned, because this podcast will be promoting Steve's podcast as soon and as long as it is. Uh, If you enjoyed it. Steve's voice here, like I know you did, please stay tuned because it will be premiering. Do you want to say when or what, what you're I don't know. It's coming together. It's, it's, stay tuned. Stay tuned, y'all. Thank you for joining. If you also, if you have something to say, if you need to school us about anything, if you have something to share on any of these topics, if you're a Michaela Cole fan, I, I will not stand for any Michaela Cole bashing. I'm not looking for it. I'm really I'm not. available. I'm not there. Yeah, I could get there. I'm sure there's some pieces of critical analysis I may have missed. Mm -hmm. I know I just said you got to stay open and be willing to change your interpretation and your ideas about things. I'm just letting you know when it comes to her, I'm not there yet. (laughs) I, I, I will not abide. I am all for the critical analysis. If you have a point or a counterpoint to make about anything you heard today, please share it. People have color at gmail.com uh, and we'll we'll get into it on the show. And 
Thank you for listening. I love you for listening. I love you, Steve, for joining. Thank you for having me. Happy weekend. Happy, stay safe out there. Black Lives Matter. All power to the people. Peace.